You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Right Where You Are. This is Jason Wright, of course your host and creator, and I'm so glad that you're here. As always, here at the top of the show, a quick favor. I'd be so thankful if you would take just a second to post a review of the show, rate the show, particularly on Apple Podcasts. It's so helpful as our little family grows here at Right Where You Are. So thank you for doing that for me. Our guest today is an actress, comedian, a radio host, a speaker, a YouTube star. I hope she talks about chat books here in a minute. And a mom. Uh, speaking of YouTube, I looked this up so I could be prepared. More than 10 million views she has through her chat books ads, which are fantastic. And of course, we'll link to that uh, in the show notes. And I don't know if she knows this, but I, I first sort of fell in love with her work and her style and her sort of sense of comedic timing and voice with a little web series called Pretty Darn Funny, which was very darn funny. And she's also well-known for maybe a more unfortunate reason as having lost her husband, Chris, to ALS. Um, And she'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit about that and about her passion for raising money to fight ALS and find a cure. All right. Her name, of course, you know already is Lisa Valentine Clark. Hello, Lisa. (laughs) Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I mean, you do get recognized as being the chapbook's real mom, right? Yeah. They'll say, uh, are you that lady? Yeah. (laughs) And yep, I say, yep, I'm that mom and with her clothes on in the bathtub. So yes, I am the chapbook mom. (laughs) And the crossbow arrow cap. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's so well done. Is oh, that thanks. a Harmon Brothers app? It is. Yeah, yeah. I've worked oh. with them on a couple of, of of projects, and that was the creation of them. Oh, we, well, uh, they made. they know what they're doing, don't they? They yeah. have such a great <laughs> a great lens for marketing. So yeah, fun. fun. All right. I wanted to start with. I mean, you've been doing this your whole life. You you have been entertaining and sort of living your life with this desire to put a smile on people's faces for many many years. So yeah. do you remember? The first time as a little girl that you said something funny at dinner or at church or at school or you your timing was just there <laughs> and you thought or someone said, hey, Lisa, you know what? You're pretty funny. I, well, you know, for me, the, the my origin story is around the Valentine family dinner in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, I'm one of five kids. Um, my, my dad, uh, Robert Valentine, my mom... Shauna Valentine, um, both were really like fun and funny. And if I could get my dad or my brothers and sisters to laugh, then I knew because they're not just going to give it to you. You know what I mean? Like they're just not going to go, oh, (laughs) you know, like some, you know, parents, you know, laugh to humor their children. That wasn't happening in the Valentine family. So if I could get my brothers and sisters or my dad to laugh, then I felt like I was onto something. And how does that grow then? Like, how how does that become, look, you know, I'm, I'm maybe the class clown to, you know what, I want to make a living. <laughs> well, yeah, that was never the objective, right? I think as a kid, I just, I mean, we, I, I, we, I had a fun family. 
We laughed a ton. And I realize now looking back that that's what we were motivated by. Like, we just wanted to make each other laugh. We would do impressions and have inside jokes for each other. And then that's what I wanted. You know, those are the people that I I gravitated towards in school, right? Who's going to make me laugh in class? I want to hang out with that person. And and you just sort of egg each other on, right? And so in, and in junior high and high school, you know, I did the, you know, drama club and all of that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to do the serious stuff. I just wanted to do the fun, the fun stuff. And um, but it was always, you know, the hobby and, you know, and I was a good student. And so I had my academic pursuits and and never really had the idea that like, oh, this is what you're going to base your career on at all. I just, you know, thought I was just, uh, you know, a little odd in in a few ways uh, growing up. And I just sort of leaned into that um, instead of trying to hide it. And then I could get people to laugh. Is your family, are they equally creative? I mean, do you, are, yeah. are your siblings creative? <laughs> My when siblings together, are ridiculous. <laughs> when we get together, it's really loud, first of all. Like, we're all <laughs> like, no, no, me, no, no. And instead of like waiting, we and, and our, our, our wonderful, beautiful in-laws that have come into the family have all pointed this out. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a fact now. That it's really hard to get a word in edgewise, but we just are so excited to be around each other. And we know that this is a safe place for, you know, our comedy and, oh, listen to this ridiculous thing that happened. Or, you know what really bugs me? And we know that we have found our, you know, like-minded, you know, audience. So for me, like hanging out with my brothers and sisters is my favorite thing. But, um, yeah, my, my family is very, very creative. My oldest brother, Christopher, is a physician. Which doesn't sound very creative, but if you saw his medical presentations, he does those like whiteboard things where you just draw and so like, and and he always said, you know, if I don't get into medical school, then I'm going to be a full time artist. I'm just going to, you know, and and there, I think there was a little disappointment when he got into medical school because <laughs> I think he kind of wanted to be, but you know, he really is like an incredible artist um, and just creative in everything he does. He he can make anything, do anything, figure anything out. Um, I could talk about him all day. And then there's me, and then there's my sister, Gina, and she is wildly creative. Again, can figure out anything, fix anything, make anything. She's an incredible seamstress and, and um, has a small business, you know, doing that and is, is wildly creative with all of her creations. And my, my little brother, James, is the lead guitarist in Maroon 5, so he's a musician and he's always creating and... Um, and, uh, you know, bringing that music and performance everywhere it goes. And my youngest sister, then Amanda, is um, a fashion designer, always creating. She's just, a, and she's also actually really, really funny. But she was on Project Runway for several seasons and just, oh, wow. yeah, really um, creative. And so it's nice to have a group of people when you're like, I have this weird idea for a movie that they, I want to do. Or for a book I want to write, or for a thing I want to do, and a hundred percent they'll be like, "Yeah, you should totally do it," you know. <laughs> and I realize now that there's a lot of families that are like, "Well, have you thought about your four hundred one k?" Or how? I don't know. I don't know how other families talk, but <laughs> but you just always know you're going to get. Yeah, if it sounds crazy, you should totally do it. So <laughs> that's my family. <laughs> what a blessing to be surrounded by people that are willing to support your crazy a little bit, right? Like, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that. we were encouraged that, you know, if you met my mom and dad, you would see, too. It's like, you know, what do they do for a living? Well, you know, does it, it, the philosophy was always like, well, does it matter? We're all creative beings and we're going to do this and that. There's never going to be one thing that you define yourself at. And I realize that that's, uh, you know, something that I want to raise my kids, 
you know, believing as well. If like you're more than your career, you're more than what you do for a living. It's how you live your life, right? And and so I think that as a kid, yeah, I didn't think, well, I'm going to make a living, you know, doing comedy or, you know, <laughs> or improv or whatever. I, it was just, I just know I'm going to do a lot of creative things and keep an open mind. And that's how, how I was, because I, that's how I was raised. And it's led me to really, really great things. So what if I did say to you, you know what, Lisa, you've got to choose, you've got to choose one thing. So you've done some, you've done some film, you've done commercial work, you've done uh, some, some uh, sketch comedy live and on television on BOU TV. You've got the Lisa show, which is uh, heard around the country. But you know what? You gotta just pick one thing for the rest of your career. Could you do it? And what I couldn't would it be? do. I don't know if I could do it. That is the. I I would just push back and say, oh, that's not how people live their lives. But and I know this is gonna sound really cheesy, but if I could just pick one thing, it's really being a mom. I think being a mom is like the most creative, funniest you know, experience. And, and you know, we could have a big discussion of, is that a career or not? No, I, it's not. It's a relationship, you know, uh, mm-hmm. being a mom. But like, to me, that is where, honestly, I think the most creative things that I've been able to do have come out of my experience being a mom. Now, are are your kids creative? What, tell us a little yeah, bit about that. Yeah, my kids are really creative. My oldest son, Miles, is is a bit of an introvert and um, just interested in so many things in Japanese translation and in literature and so funny. You want me to funny your person in your entire life. And so very creative and has picked up several dip instruments that he likes to play and he's a great writer. Mm-hmm. And my second son, um, Owen, is, has a, uh, is an illustration major and has a small business doing streetwear design and, and he does graphic design and he's such a hard worker and just everything from how he does his hair and what he wears to how he does school and how he lives is, is just oozing with creativity and and um, just amazing. And my daughter Phoebe is a as a freshman at college. She is really really funny and um, really interested in the sciences. The you know all the different sciences and and the creative ways that they can solve problems in the real world. And she's also you know wildly talented in in other areas as well in in, in drawing and music. And my son Hugh is is an actor and creates films with his cousin and they have a production company oh and he's in a musical right now and he's always thinking sort of cinematically you know in that way and then my youngest um Margaret is is loves to draw she really really loves art has a beautiful voice and so so those kinds of creative arts they've all expressed them in different ways and but yeah they're 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 all very creative fascinating that you have used this this word creative and creativity and it's threaded through you know a brother that's a doctor a son that's in japanese translation a daughter that's into the sciences so do you think do you really believe that we can create and be creative in virtually any field any interest any hobby oh a hundred percent i i feel like that's what we need you know we have such intense modern problems right now where you know, we need to worry about the earth and global warming and social discord. And I mean, these are huge, heavy, important problems for us to solve. And our children need to solve it in ways that have never been created before. 
right? They need to solve problems that no one an- anticipated generations ago. And so they need to solve them unimaginable problems by doing things that have never been done before. And so as a result, they have to think outside the box. There can't be a box. So they have to, you know, practicing creativity and applying it, it can be applied to anything. And and I really believe that it should. And in fact, I really, you know, I have a sort of a, a you know, a side hobby or interest in science fiction, which a lot of people don't know. And And I really feel like a lot of our greatest technologies and discoveries have come out of science fiction imagination, you know, and and the brains and the minds of these most creative people that said, well, what if this happened? Or what if we created something like that? And I think that that brings inspiration and that solves real life problems. Oh, I I love that approach. As I listen to you, I'm looking around, you know, my office and out my window at the street and everything I see was created, right? Yeah. I mean, creation is the root of, I mean, you can go all the way back to heaven, right? Every single thing that's ever happened from you to your children, to a radio show, to the studio, to the yeah. mic we're using today, mm-hmm. everything is created. Nothing is accomplished without creation. I love thinking about it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I love being around creative people in different fields that I'm not familiar with, because I feel like there's this, just this, this you know, cross inspiration of, I would have never thought about that design for this, you know, problem. You know, how does that brain work that, that, that does that in, in a different sort of creative field that, that I don't know anything about? And um, I think that builds connection as well, um, but definitely inspiration. And I think it's just, I mean, it sounds really cheesy, but like, I do think that it's everywhere. And I, I really want my kids to be able to see that, like, great, you want to be a geologist. That's awesome. So, you know, take a step back and how can you be inspired by contributing to the world in a different way. Right. And how can you be inspired to contribute to the world in a way that then inspires others, right? And yeah. inspiration yeah. is such a, a chain, sort of, it, it's, it's so contagious. Okay, so shifting gears, yeah. you and I had uh, this strange and crazy, bizarre experience of working on this, uh, what's called the Christmas Jars featurette yes. a couple of years ago. There's a little 15-minute short film that ran after uh, Christmas Jars when it ran in theaters as a Fathom event um, back Mm -hmm. in November of 2019. And it was such a treat to be involved with that. It it came together sort of last minute and I show up on set and there are all of these faces of people that I have, you know, known and loved their work, you and Kirby Hayborn and others. And you and I had this conversation uh, at one point in, uh, we were shooting in a high school uh, auditorium, mm-hmm. right? The scenes with uh, with me and Dalton Johnson, and, and you were sitting there. Uh, my daughters were there. Super starstruck to meet you, by the way. You were so kind <laughs> to take pictures with them and to chat with them. But I remember just looking at you in in the midst of all this chaos, and you were sort of quietly thinking, and I, I knew what you were juggling, of course, at home, mm-hmm. you know, with your husband, Chris. Uh, toward the end of his journey. And I just remember coming up to you and saying, I am so inspired by your grace and poise through something that is just unimaginable to 99.999% of us. And and you were you were humbled and just so sweet and sort of, you know, reflective. And I sort of bookmarked that experience, hoping that we'd have a chance to talk again about that. Tell us a little bit about about your husband, about that, I've read it online, described as a as an alligator, no, crocodile? 
showed up on your doorstep. You know that? It's a desert news piece, I think. I will link oh, to it in the show notes. Oh, it's a reference to an, an improv we used to do. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll link to it because it's a, it's a beautiful article. It's well worth reading. Oh, thanks. But this, you know, you don't expect this. You just, no, no one no. plans mm-hmm. or prepares for that kind of a life event. So talk to us a little bit about that. So after a long, arduous, very stressful period of time, Christopher was um, diagnosed with ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease in March of 2016, which for those who are unfamiliar is the worst disease you could ever get. You know, the worst case scenario, no doctor says it out loud until it's been confirmed by about three or four doctors. It is, and it took us a while to get the diagnosis, uh, which is its own story in and of itself. But it is a terminal disease. It has no treatment, so nothing to slow it down or, you know, stave it off, and and there's no cure. And the average life expectancy for those who are diagnosed is two to five years. And so this was quite a, a shock. You know, he was in his early 40s, and, you know, we have five kids at home, ranging in ages of 8 to 18. So our heads were spinning. We didn't, you know, he was very, very healthy up until then. It wasn't like, oh, he's always been sickly, so we were expecting. No, he's just so it was it was very shocking and it uh yeah it was horrible and so christopher was able through a you know series of of miracles and kindnesses live for four and a half years before he passed away in june of 2020 you know during a global pandemic so that that's the short story <laughs> you but know he just, <laughs> but he didn't just live right no like he, he I mean, lived following you and him on instagram he lived, like he lived. capital L lived. You know, the first little while, you know, it's such a shock. For two weeks, we didn't really talk about it. We didn't know what to say. And then we had to, you know, tell our kids, of course, and our family and friends, and then kind of blast it out so that we didn't have to keep having the same, you know, painful conversation with everybody we met along our way. And it is quite shocking. And telling people was actually one of the worst parts of it. But after the initial shock, you know, he had a really great therapist that he went to to try to deal with, you know, you are dying and there's no way to escape it and that kind of personal hell that he had to, you know, experience. And as much as I wanted to alleviate him of that individually, you know, we're all going through our own sort of way to process that. And, um, you know, and he was a very spiritual man and felt like God had a plan for him. And so this must be part of the plan. So how does that work and what does that mean? You know, and his therapist gave him some really great advice right from the get-go that was like, you know, take 10 to 15 minutes every day and feel what you need to feel, which is like, this is horrible. I hate this. This is sad. This is tragic. You know, and cry and be mad and do whatever. And then after you've spent that 10 to 15 minutes every day, then just get on with your day. You know, live your life like you want to, you know, be with your kids and laugh and and create still direct you know, theater pieces and 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 be a good husband and father and friend and and do stuff instead of sitting around waiting to die. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, and at first he needed, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. But honestly, he a few months into it had really just felt peace about it, about this is there's I didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, it wasn't like I got, you know, a disease after some hard living and bad choices or, you know, and I've destroyed my body. You know, I've done everything right. So because it is senseless, it must be God's will. And instead, I'm not going to spend my time being angry for something that I can't do anything about. And I'm going to live. I'm just going to live and be in the moment 
And who knows for how long? We don't know. Because at that time, you know, you don't know, oh, you only have two years left or you only have four years. You know, there's no way to predict, which is another very tricky mental game to play, you know. And at the very beginning, too, we just thought, oh, well, maybe you'll have 10 years. Like, maybe this will, you know. So you still have kind of that hope of it. But he felt such love, you know, personally, he felt, and we both did, such love and care from from God. We felt such an increase in love by the way that people served us, our family and friends, and the way that that, that people showed up, that it was just such, you know, blare, glaring evidence of God's love for us after miracle, after everything, to make our lives happy and have joyful experiences amidst this this tragedy and, and deep, deep, you know, grief, uh, that, that neither one of us could deny that, that that there were blessings in this and that there was joy in it. And so we laughed a lot. He still, you know, worked as long as he could. He, he still, you know, went to movies with his friends. We still, you know, I, we had to adjust a lot of things about how he worked and how he would communicate as he slowly lost the ability to move and speak. But at every step along the way, it was he didn't spend a lot of time saying, oh, I can't believe I can't walk. This sucks, you know. Or I can't believe I can't play the piano anymore. He would say, well, that was wonderful that I was able to do that. And now I'm going to focus on what I still can do. I can still direct. I can still teach. Okay, now I can't talk anymore. You know what? I can still be with my kids. I can still go to movies. I can still um, type things out, um, you know, with the technology, with my eyes. I can still like now if I can't direct anymore, then I'll write plays. Or if I can't write anymore, you know, I'll be with my family. And, And so he was always looking forward uh, for that, and I really do think that that was the key to his peace, his calmness, his happiness, um, all the way up to the end. Thank you for for sharing that those that level of detail in you know such a raw and honest way. I appreciate that so much, and I know our listeners do too. I want to go back just a second because you said something that really struck me. You said that this was the experience was such evidence of God's love, and that he he loved God more through this. And I think that's probably counterintuitive to a lot of people listening who've been through hard things, maybe not this, but their own kind of hard, whatever that hard looks like. And I, I think as human beings, we tend to, to go the other way, like, oh, you know, I'm a little bit angry, actually, at God for this. Like, has he, has he left me for a while? Am I not as important to him? Like, at, w- at what point does God say, okay, you know, Jason or Lisa or Christopher has been through enough, I'm going to back off. It seems like you had a very different experience. Well, and I want to be clear, too, that, like, I just feel like it's never all one thing or the other. And I, and I think that we all have our own, you know, egos of, well, I did all these things, so my life should be like this. And, you know, my kind of faith, the way that I was raised, the way that I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is I was never—and this was a hard truth for me to really take a look at and swallow, so I don't want to, like, gloss over it. But— I was never promised an easy life. I was never promised pure joy and happiness in this life. It, when I started going back, when I was really upset about it and, and thought, why is this happening? What is the purpose in this? I realized that quite the opposite was true. And I feel like bad things happen to good people all the time. It's all over the scriptures. Like it's all over my personal life and all over people I know. You know what I mean? Like it, it, this is, the, you know, and, 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 and my personal belief system is, is this is the middle of the story. This isn't the beginning or the end. And so I, you know, and, and Christopher had that belief as well. And 
And obviously, with grief, you have many different stages. And it's not like he was never upset or never thought, this is really hard. This may be too much for me to handle. It's 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 not that you don't feel those things. It's the choice that you make moving forward. And he and I both together made the choice of we could be really angry and really sad about this and stay in our beds and cry and say, poor us, and what are we going to do, and it's all over. We could do that, and no one would fault us. You know what I mean? No one would be like, you know what, chin up. <laughs> you know, like this, we have the power to create what we want this situation to be. I remember right when he was diagnosed and not everybody really knew and I had a job to do and he had a job and we had like like a wedding to go to. And I was like, well, we can't go to the wedding. I can't go to this job. And he was like, well, why not? What are we going to do? Like just sit and cry in bed like for three days? Like, like we got to like live life. And that was a turning point, I think, for both of us. It was, yeah, you go to the wedding. You go do the job. You keep moving forward. And, and you can feel horrible. And we certainly did. And you can feel angry and you can feel all these things. But it doesn't mean that you don't choose it. You know, a lo- I mean, a lot of people will have, you know, deep philosophical conversations about what it means to believe, right? What it means to have faith. And I think it's more of a choice than a lot of us acknowledge. And, and it certainly was with the way that Christopher chose to live his life after his diagnosis. You know, he just thought, what good is it to be angry and to mad and to be, to choose what, to, to that that this is something that was done to me. What if I chose to believe that this is part of a bigger plan, that this has a greater purpose? If I chose to believe that my suffering and pain and the heartache of my family has a greater purpose that will somehow ultimately result in goodness beyond my level to comprehend it, how would that change things? And you know what? It changed everything. It changed everything. It created more joy. It created peace for his family. It created inspiration for others to do hard, difficult things that they need to do. It, it, it made all the difference. I'm just sitting here thinking what a different world it would be, what different people we'd be if we ask that question, no matter what we're going through. Like, what if I chose to believe that me getting laid off last week from my job is going to be for my good in time? That it's going to be hard, but it will be for my good. What if I chose to believe that, you know, breaking my ankle right before the big track meet is, is going to be right for me, that somehow blessings will come from this? I mean, you could go on and on and on if we all just woke up every day and said, okay, I, I'm going to choose to believe that whatever comes my way today in time will be for my good. I just think that would be such a refreshing way for all of us to view our problems, whether it's, you know, losing a spouse or or job loss, or, you know. Well, and it's easier said than done. It really, you know, and I don't want to underestimate that and be like, you guys just choose to be happy because there's nothing, you know, in some moments you're, you just need to feel bad and feel the tragedy of the situation. You know, there are still moments when, of course, I feel that. And I think, how is this good for me? How is this good for my kids? How is this part of a bigger, greater plan? This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like, but you know, you let yourself feel that and you honor it like this is worth feeling bad about and, um, you know, and, and sort of taking that as an offering to be a little bit more empathetic to others who are going through, you know, unspeakable pain and grief. You use it to just become a different person and, and in, in a different way. And you sort of put those things on the shelf. Listen, like even if you don't 
choose to believe that, you know, there's a greater power or greater purpose in it, it doesn't change your situation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't change the here and now. So, you know, a lot of it is roll up your sleeves and get to work. Like, there's a lot to be done, you know, in our lives. And we have the power to to control some things, but 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 not as many as I think I thought <laughs> I was yeah, able well, to control. <laughs> but one thing I can control is, is like, you know, how is is what I do and say, right? And what I think about. And 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 that's very powerful. Yeah. And, and I like the reminder. I think it's important that, yeah, it is going to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. And pain is actually kind of an important reminder that people matter to us, right? Yeah. If we didn't feel lost when we lose someone or feel disappointment when we lose the promotion or the house or the dog or whatever it is, then what would life be like? I yeah, mean, it reveals your values. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and it, and it yeah. really does tell you a little bit more about what you think about, what you value. And, you know, that can be good or bad. You know, there's lots of pain that you get where you're, you know, embarrassed about how things might be perceived and you might think, oh, I didn't think I cared so much about what other people think. You know, it's a good indication for things that you could change in your life and and also things that you value. And it's a signal to those who you love, how deeply you love, right? Absolutely. If there's if there's someone listening right now who maybe they are at the beginning of this journey with ALS, maybe they have just gotten a diagnosis or, or maybe they don't know yet that it's coming, you know, next week or next month or next year. Do you have, and I know this is such a dangerous question because mm. every situation is so different, yeah. but based on your experience, your journey, how public you've been willing to be about it. What would you tell someone, what advice would you give someone who is either just beginning or is about to begin the same journey that you have been on? Well, the first thing I would say is just, I'm so sorry. It's not fair. It is really horrible. It really is the worst. And there's no putting, you know, a sugar coating on it. There just isn't. And, and, And the greatest advice I think that I could get is just find those people that will sit with you when things are just impossible and where there is no answer and there is no comfort and you just have to sit in that that grief and that mourning. And if you can find two to three people at least who you can call in the middle of the night or on that day where everything makes you cry or everything seems horrible. And if you just have two or three people who will sit with you in that feeling and not try to make it better or fix it or solve it because it's not fixable or solvable, then, you know, and, and but we'll just sit with you and remind you of who you are and remind you that there is hope for that you won't always feel that way in that moment all the time. That's that's what will get you through. Wow. Um, I love that the very first thing you'd say is, I'm just, I'm sorry, right? I mean, that's, that's it's amazing how people don't do that. Yeah. They want to make it better. They yeah. want to, well, what do you need? What can I do? You know, at, at least, you know, your kids are older. At least, you know, whatever. They're, they're trying to help in their mind solve some problem for you. And it comes from such a generous, wonderful place. Mm-hmm. But I've mm-hmm. never been comforted by somebody saying at least at the beginning of a sentence. And there is so much power for you to sit and look at somebody in the eye and say, I am so sorry. Or like I remember one time yeah. I was really, really upset, like just one of those horrible grief moments. And I was talking to my best friend and I was explaining this happened and then this happened. And I don't know how to get through this day or this like moment. And I looked at her and I, what I had described, the details don't matter, but they were awful. They were really awful. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, my gosh, 
that sounds horrible. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. I don't know. And <laughs> this is the person that like knows me really, really well. And I, it was so validating and so freeing that she said, yeah, I've looked at it from all angles. I know your family. I know you very well. This is not solvable. This is horrible. That's all she said. And it made me feel so much better. I'm not crazy. Right. I'm that. not alone. This yeah, some there are yeah there are yeah. some things that you can't you know we we use this word comfort we want to comfort each other and we don't really understand what that means you know comfort does not always mean solve my problem sometimes it does you know and and that's certainly an important part of it but you know being open to that of what it might mean and sitting with somebody in an, an uncomfortable moment that you would do anything to avoid feeling like is such an an intimate act of service that that I think few people are like emotionally prepared for. Well, and I think you've maybe inadvertently given us some actually really good just marriage advice. I think so <laughs> yeah. often what a spouse wants is for you to just, and, and this isn't groundbreaking revelation on the part of Jason today, but <laughs> spouses just want you to sit and listen. Just say, yeah, I hear you. I, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Christopher and I had that practice in our marriage. I would start saying something. He'd go, okay, 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 wait. Is this a situation where you want me to help you solve this problem, or do you want me just to listen? And it was so great that he would interrupt me at the beginning because I go, oh, oh, no, this is not solvable right now. Like, I actually know what I have to do, but I'm so mad about it. I just need to vent. <laughs> He's like, got it. Okay, go on. You know, and then oh. we knew. Or, it, or yeah, no, this is something that I know I can figure out, but I can't figure it out. So, yes, I want you to help me. You know, and it was like, okay, okay. And because and you, you, you listen differently, don't you, depending on, on, on that. And this is a practice oh, yeah. that I've adopted with my kids, too, when they come to me with something. I think, okay, do you want suggestions about what I think you should do, or do you want me just to listen? And, and especially with my adult kids, it, it helps to ask that. That's, I'm, I'm taking that advice home today. Oh, good. And I'm going to roll that out with my wife. That is that's excellent advice. Tell me where where are you going to be? Where are you, where are you going to be in ten years? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. Listen, if you would have asked me ten years ago where I'd be today, I couldn't have even imagined it. So, like playing right. that future game is really really hard for me. Like it, 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 you know, like before. I think when I was a kid, it was so fun. Like in ten years, I want to have you know these many kids, and I want to be living here and vacationing there. <laughs> and to me, you know, and sorry to be such a party pooper, but. To me, that is just not a fun question. To me, that's actually kind of an overwhelming question because, you know, I'm still, you know, a a year and a half out from, you know, Chris's death and trying to figure out my life looks so much different than I ever imagined. And then I ever even thought maybe even four months ago. So it's I am just taking it one day at a time right now. But I hope, you know, to answer around your question and not address it directly. I hope that that my children are doing well and that I am happy. Do you think you're on the radio? Would you like to be? Yeah, I hope so. Again, I feel like there's so many opportunities like with movies and creating content and radio and and talking to people that I would love that. But I yeah, I, but I also want to be open to opportunities because that's where the best, you know, surprises in my career or my personal life have come is by keeping an open mind. Well, I, I hope we chat again in 10 years because it will be fascinating. To uh, yeah, where, that would be really fun. You've come. Yeah, mark it down. And, you know, I, I suspect that wherever you are in 10 years, you will in your own way 
be creating something, whether it's whether it's on screen or behind a mic or with a written page, whatever. You're you're going to be creating in your way because that is what has you know driven so much of your life. Before we get to the last two questions, I just want to tell people about uh, once I was engaged, which I know isn't new anymore, but is hilarious. Oh, thanks. See, <laughs> you need to see the film. It's it is so much fun. It is. It's not really. How do you describe its relationship to Once I Was a Beehive? Which, by the way, I still think Once I Was a Beehive is one of the best independent movies I've ever. Oh, seen. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. What a generous thing to say. Thanks. How do the two tie together? Well, I mean, they live in the same I, world. I the, yeah, okay. they live in the same world. So, and Once I Was a Beehive, you meet these girls who are at a time in their lives where they're together in in their church group, trying to figure out life in a camp, right? And 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 relationships. So then you fast forward five years, and where are they now and what are they doing? So, you know, it's really fun um, as they're making big life decisions about missions and marriage and um, how they want to live their life, how they've, they've, they've taken, they've grown up. And so, you know, their relationships to each other have changed and comedy ensues. <laughs> much, much comedy <laughs> ensues. Yeah they're, yeah, they're super fun. I'll say the one thing that I noted when I saw Once I Was a Beehive, and then again was reminded of with Once I Was Engaged, is, and I've seen a lot of, of, this is, you know, safe to say a smaller budget independent movie. I've seen a lot of these through the years, and you can always tell by how the films look on screen. Mm-hmm. It's just, you can just tell that the color palette and the depth and, and the shot selection, and, and Once I Was a Beehive was such a beautiful movie to look at that I went, wait a minute, this, this feels like a much a bigger budget than in reality it probably oh, was. So thanks. kudos to the filmmakers thanks. for accomplishing that. It's not easy. Yeah, they did a great job. All right. We are at the last two questions. Of course, you know, our loyal listeners already know what they are, but I'm so excited to hear how you will address these. The first is Lisa yes. Valentine Clark. <laughs> the name of the show is Right Where You Are. What does that phrase, right where you are, mean to you? I, I really feel like it's like... We need to look right and talk about what life looks like for us right now, this very moment, living in the present, which is something that I'm very concerned with. <laughs> yeah, which you sort of alluded to in your 10-year answer, right? Like, yeah. hey, Jason, don't, don't bug me about a decade from now. I want to get <laughs> to lunch. I'm trying to, I'm trying to live in the moment. Yeah, and, and I like that, right where you are. Like, I think that's where we meet people. I think that's where we make our best decisions. I think that's where the, we're the happiest is right now in this moment right here. Be happy right now in this moment. I like that a lot. Well, how about this one? Years from now, mm-hmm. years from now, many, many years, many more than 10 years, okay. at the end of your journey, Lisa Valentine Clark has one thing, just one thing that she wants oh. her family, her audience, the people that she's touched around the world to remember about her, her journey, her mission, her career, her family. What is your one thing. You only get one thing. I know, this is so hard. I joke about this, and this will seem like a funny, flippant answer, but I, it, it's not. It, this is how I, what I really feel like I want, you know, my kids especially, but everybody to know that, you know, she tried really, really hard. Mm. I want them to know that she tried really, really hard. Like, I don't want any, and, and you know, and the long answer to that is, you know, with, whether it's my relationships with my kids, whether it's in my, the way that I live my life, the way that I 
grieve the way that I'm trying to move forward the, and still live or what I'm trying to create creatively or how I'm trying to be a disciple of Christ and my like personal mottos and and keeping you know promises that I've made like whatever it is I know I'm not going to be perfect but I just want everyone to sort of give me the benefit of the doubt that I tried really really hard I didn't just phone it in I'm not phoning in life hmm. well I So, World, I hope you're listening, because she didn't say perfect, didn't say she never failed, didn't say every day was easy, didn't say she was always successful at everything she tried, right? She said, I want to be remembered as someone who tried really hard. I I like that. That's a t-shirt, Lisa. That is a (laughs) t-shirt. Now, if you say it in Utah accent, you say, well, she tried real, real hard. So, Real, real hard. Uh, (laughs) Real, real hard. (laughs) Well... Um, I'm real, real grateful for your time today (laughs) on the show. Thank you. Thank you for living your life in a way that inspires uh, people like me and people listening today to choose laughter and joy and even on the really hard days to smile and to be happy in the moment. You are are a gem. I appreciate you. Oh, that's such a generous thing for you to say. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, Visit him online at jasonfwright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at jasonfwright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.